Welcome back to Probably About Politics. This episode, Aotearoa, or New Zealand, as Kelly keeps calling it on our online documents. Okay, well, sorry. Trying to just keep it, you know, easy to find. If we want to show off our specific language skills, we can do that in a different competition. <laughs> I actually only found out that New Zealand is like shifting towards um, being called like bilingually within the country mm-hmm. as Aotearoa, which is like the Maori word that was originally used mm-hmm. for the island. Because I started looking at news articles for this and a bunch of them were calling it Aotearoa and not New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I was unsure. Yeah. So I got I got schooled. So let's just yeah. not say any words for the island uh, for yeah. the rest of the episode. We can just go off uh, the small island near Australia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we got a normal episode coming up. It feels like it's so normal. It feels good to get back to, it's not even the new normal. I, it's a little bit hashtag new normal, (laughs) but we're talking about an election in a country that's pretty strongly democratic without a huge pandemic really going on. Mm -hmm. They handled it well. It's exciting. I think. You can talk about the substance of what's happening instead of just the conditions in which it happens. Yeah. I I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, uh, I think boring is the new sexy. You know, it's it's pretty great. (laughs) Just mostly working. Awesome. All right. So before we get into the actual election, we have uh, some good news coming up first, Mm -hmm. which we'll get into. But uh, we got space news at the end where I'm actually going. Okay. I'm actually talking about space, I should say. Not I'm actually going to space. But I'm (laughs) we're actually talking about space this week. Yeah. Well, I think that's exciting. I I feel like you're rarely telling me about space, but you get a cool theme music and everything for it. (laughs) (laughs) But my good news is kind of about biology because people like the biology news, man. Yeah. Good news, not space news. Yeah. Biology news is cool. It's so much less scary. Do you have some good stuff to talk about for Gutierrez this week? Um, so yeah, so I, I, my good news and my Gutierrez news are, uh, pretty connected. Um, so Mm. I I was going to reveal this to you and, uh, as like a surprise twist. So you, you thought you knew the way the podcast was going, but you've caught me out. Okay. But it's still the same structure or are you going to try and talk about them both at the same time? Um, I think it's, it would make more sense if I say the good news and then roll into Gutierrez. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So cool. So it's. Make- my good news, then your good news, then Gutierrez, then the election, because yeah. we're probably about politics, so at some point we do have to talk about that. And then yes. banger space news at the end. All right, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, so um, cue, the space new- or cue the Gutierrez theme song that we have, clearly, for right after my good news. <laughs> All right, I'll jump into it then. My good news, mm-hmm. uh, it's good that you have good news that goes into Gutierrez news, and it's going to take a little while, because mm-hmm. my good news is... Um, Kind of just something that I found out that I want to share that it, that I think people like. Okay, cool. <laughs> because, Kaylee, mm-hmm. when you think about how many species there are in the world, yep. would you say we, we know most of them, we don't know most of them, we learn new ones often, we, knew, we learn new ones infrequently? Like, how, how exciting do you think it is to find a new species? Um, I think that... I think that we're finding new ones like surprisingly often. That would be my guess, but that it's still exciting. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't be telling you if it was just (laughs) unsurprisingly often. (laughs) A couple of weeks ago when we were going to record an episode, I was like, oh, I saw this thing about a new frog species being uh, 
discovered. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's cool. I should talk about that frog because we found a new species. Mm-hmm. So I dug a little deeper. And it turns out that we find a new species pretty much every single day. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so my good news is actually just a, a one cool thing or one more thing. You know how some podcasts have mm-hmm. at the end to share things. Is basically the Twitter account uh, Zootaxa updates mm-hmm. or just the hashtag new species. Mm-hmm. All one word. Because it just fills your Twitter with cute pictures of like little spiders or frogs or insects or snakes. Um, Mm -hmm. They're all like tiny and cute normally. Yeah. Um, Also just like pretty tropical flowers. Uh, Really great stuff. It's exciting that there is all this new stuff. It's also, you know, the world is so unknown still. Yeah. Because like there's some estimated 15 million species in the world uh and we only know about 2 million uh, like science catalog cataloged within the scientific canon are only 2 million interestingly often when a new species is discovered they ask the people who live there mm-hmm. and whoever they are are always like well yeah that's just that little <laughs> snake yeah <laughs> <laughs> we call it this and then oh. some scientist names it normally after where they found it or those people are like there was some wasp that was recently found that was named after the pandemic oh, <laughs> um, is that the killer wasp i feel like we've known about that for a while though yeah but this there's there's this article from uh the, about this one uh species that was found uh by this finnish university but it turns mm-hmm. out this one university already this year this was from july too found has already found in 2020 17 new spiders 23 new insects one millipede and one lizard <laughs> and that was just a, that's 42 species in <laughs> only half a year for one university anyway highly recommend if your twitter is toxic looking up hashtag new species which might still be toxic but of a different kind <laughs> <laughs> i feel like in my head it's like i know that this is like somebody like you know outdoors looking around and you know coming across and doing very scientific research but in my head it's just like we've got a box of spiders and we're going through them and be like not new not new not new (laughs) new i i mean they do like capture a bunch of things right and like nets and stuff and then they go and look at them and find if there's anything that they can't catalog that's in there so like you do have to capture them Mm. or find them some way so yeah it might just be a trap that's a box and they look at the box every day and see if there's a new spidey in there. <laughs> um, how do we know? The, the question I did have is, why do we think there's 50 million things that we don't? F- you know. 15 million? Oh, did you say 15? That is much smaller than 50. Yeah, 15. Okay. Well, yeah, we know there's just 15 million because you can count that high, but 50 million would be difficult to know. <laughs> but you, you said um, we like know of this certain amount, but we estimate this amount. I mean, it's... I think it's like probably based on like the rate of discovery and some like phylogenetic history of like how rapidly things differentiate mm-hmm. and how many we knew of before and how much we've looked for and stuff and like what diversity we have. I would guess, though, I'm not an ecologist. Uh, well, okay. Oh, we'll get one of those on sometime. <laughs> yeah, put it on the list. Ecologist. <laughs> put it on the ecolo list. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Okay, so my good news is, uh, as as you may have heard, the Nobel Peace Prize, Nobel Prizes were awarded recently. Um, yes. And the World Food Program, which is the world's largest uh, humanitarian organization that feeds hungry, the hungry, uh, was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize this year. 
Um, so yeah, their, their efforts are in, uh, they said like 88 countries and they've served this year, almost a hundred million people, which is more than they've served since, uh, like, uh, annually since about 2012. Um, and, but this okay. record, it's, it's a, it's kind of, it's a, it's a, a recognition from the, the Nobel Peace Prize of the, the efforts that they have done, the work, the important work that they do, um, as the organization says, like, until we have a medical vaccine, food is one of the best vaccines against chaos. So the work that I just highlighting, though, it's, it's, it's nice to see that the, uh, both, I think a UN organization often, while the world food program is not perfect, uh, it is nice to see an organization in the UN getting highlighted for the work that it is doing that is very positive. Um, and important. Um, it is also, I think, sort of underrecognized, but it is one of the it's one of the biggest um, uh, branches of uh, agencies of the UN, um, and it is doing some of the most of the some of the most comprehensive amount of work. That you don't really get to think about it, but uh, providing food in conflict zones is a project that connects to a lot of different development areas. Um, and can be so uh, like your security, um, health, safety, um, and and the the development of your where you're able to live to be able to produce food and and those sorts of elements are all sort of pro- interests of the uh, the world food program um, and yeah so it and it was also uh, really active in getting in 2018 the UN Security Council to unanimously adopt. Um, resolution 2417, which uh, explicitly addresses the link between conflict and hunger and urges member states to help ensure that food assistance reaches those in need and condemned the use of starvation as a method of warfare. So it's a, it's it's kind of co- uh, an interesting organization to learn about uh, that's doing some really impressive work in a really challenging time. Hmm. That is a good thing to condemn. Mm-hmm. Use of hunger as a tactic in war. Yeah. Uh, I have a question, Kaylee. Uh, sure. I guess it's more of... <laughs> this is the classic thing to say. Actually more of a comment than a question. Sure. <laughs> um, but is it a good thing or a bad thing? Mm-hmm. And I don't know how an organization like this would measure. You say like, oh, they, they fed... Uh, they provided food to 100 million people, which is more people than they have since 2012. Mm-hmm. Is that good because they're able to reach more people, or is that bad because a hundred million people need food from the World Food Organization? So uh, yes, yeah, so or is it a bit of both? <laughs> the number is that number is probably uh, you could probably say primarily that's a bad thing. Um, the number specifically, I think what it the the World Food Program had previously though been struggling with getting the attention and the the donations that it it requires to be able to meet its needs. Um, so recognition like this from the Nobel Peace Prize and conversations about um, global food security um, and our food systems um, as as and and the and the connection between food and conflict and conflict and food. Um, it uh, I think is like a it's a it's good news that we are having these conversations um, and good news that we are highlighting the work that this organization is doing. I would focus okay. on that part of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a uh, it it and and sometimes I think the Nobel Peace Prize is awarded kind of controversially, but and and maybe there are people who don't think this is a good choice, but I think that this is a pretty uh, a pretty like yeah they're doing important work. 
um, and it, it is very key to global, world peace. It's uh, as they said the the work the Nobel Peace Prize specifically said the work of the World Food Program is a benefit of humankind is in its endeavor that in the endeavor of all nations of the world to endorse it should be the endeavor of all nations of the world to endorse and support it. Um, so I think that's pretty fair. I think a lot of Nobel prizes um, come under criticism for the political nature of the. Um, ways in which they're awarded mm-hmm. because there's so many good things that happen. Mm-hmm. I think often we don't talk about all the great things that happen, but in like in the science prizes too, it's like, well, why did that win? And how does that mm-hmm. fall under actually this category? And then not only what wins, but then you can only give it to three people and all this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there are a lot of politics that come into play. Yeah. Um, but even more so with the peace prize, which is like inherently a political thing. <laughs> Um, because, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, without politics, I guess, pe- I don't know if peace is the uh, mission of politics or war is the mission of politics. We don't have to get that philosophical <laughs> on the pod. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just a, it's just an obviously inherently mm-hmm. political thing, but Hey, people getting food to eat should not be controversial. Yeah. It, it, it does seem like something we could, we could maybe agree on, um, very, t- it's, but it is also pretty topical today, and we don't have to, you know, talk about whether or not um, Obama should receive the Nobel Peace Prize or not. It, <laughs> um, yes, it is less controversial than that, I think, probably, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so, and and that sort of segues into my good news section. Cue the music, or my uh, Gutierrez Your section. Gutierrez news section. Your Gutierrez. Okay, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Cue the music. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he, uh, the Secretary General, in in sort of after this announcement, announced that the that they will be convening a food system summit next next fall um, that will raise global awareness and spur action to rethink our food systems so that they can play a more positive role in ending hunger, reducing diet related diseases, and helping to fight climate change. Um, he's pointed to the coronavirus pandemic as having brought uh, brought to the forefront the fragility and increased the frig- uh, awareness of the fragility of the world's food supplies, um, sort of citing that, again, the World Food Program that we earlier mentioned that um, COVID could create uh, biblical uh, f- uh, famines like we have not seen. So um, <laughs> okay. with uh, millions going... What a speech. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, but I thought it was kind of an interesting bit of work that he he's doing. So there there's going to be the summit um, next year. Um, but between then, there will also be sort of a meeting, meetings of uh, uh, in the next month or so of uh, sort of... Uh, uh, chefs and f- celebrity figures to talk about um, food security and their pers- and raise awareness. And then after there will be meetings of stakeholders, nations to sort of do the business of get like the, 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 the nitty gritty of policy and, and, and lawmaking and that sort of thing. Um, the more technical um, elements of it. And then, and this will all be sort of led by uh, the former Rwandan Minister of Agriculture um, as a special envoy. And then they'll report on this once they get to the summit. Um, and, and it's really placing food and food systems at the heart of the UN's decade of action, um, which is to really use the next 10 years and our 2030 Agenda for Sustainable De- Development to achieve those goals. 
Sounds like a fun meeting for everybody. Yeah, I, I thought it was a kind of interesting chance to really highlight like the we see those meeting like we see these summits right in September in the fall. Yeah, um, and they look like they're just like you know politicians shaking hands, um, but it's that's not where it all happens. It happens throughout the course of the year. So cool. That is better news than is normally coming out of uh, Antonio Gutierrez's office. <laughs> yes, especially lately. It was hard to find not COVID. Not specifically COVID. <laughs> All right. Well, something a little more related to COVID then. Let's get into elections. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess related to COVID and that is remarkably not infected. Yes. Um, still affected, but not very infected, I guess. Yeah, so uh, there is an election happening uh, on the island of New Zealand, or Aotearoa, Mm -hmm. uh, where incumbent Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern is uh, up for re-election. Interestingly, uh, in the last election, despite her international popularity, uh, her party didn't actually receive the most votes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So her party formed uh, a coalition with and with uh, one other party with non-formal support from the Greens as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're going to talk a little bit later about how much Jacinda has actually done in New Zealand. But she has been in this kind of awkward coalition, which we often see uh, happen with uh, like a populist party that doesn't get many votes, but there's enough votes to put somebody over the edge. Mm-hmm. So New Zealand island in the south pacific near australia um, which is a larger island in the south pacific (laughs) (laughs) for those of you who don't know australia um just go look at a map (laughs) about five million people live on the island and remarkably has had very few covid deaths so far uh Mm -hmm. only i think um 20 or 30 for a population of 5 million is remarkably low compared to say Canada, which has a six or seven times that population has thousands. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're doing very well. People are super stoked about Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand, praising, mm-hmm. saying that she saved their lives through her shutdowns and everything. Uh, they had really strict shutdowns, but things seem to have worked quite well so far. And to situate ourselves within this democracy uh it's a 120 seat legislature uh unicameral body um so just the one elected house uh mixed member proportional um so there's some that are direct seats within each um locale uh and then there's the rest of the seats filled with a party list um based on proportional representation uh and there are seven reserved maori seats uh in the um in the legislature as well so i think oh they also have a queen <laughs> same as ours. uh queen elizabeth the or... second yes yeah. <laughs> they share the uh canadian queen as well as the uh queen of the united kingdom and i don't know all the countries in the commonwealth maybe we should talk about the commonwealth on an episode someday hey yeah i mean yeah message us if you want us to immediately do that but we should put it on the list i think <laughs> all right so that is the landscape yeah so that's yeah it's it's a yeah you get a good sense that it it is a multi yeah as you said a a a multi-party a mixed member proportional list so voting the voting Mm -hmm. system is a little different than you'd see in in canada and i think that framed really well what happened to get just in 
into power. She made an alliance with a sort of an unlikely New Zealand first party, which is, um, you, you know, a nationalist sort of populist political party that, as Alex had mentioned before. Um, but it doesn't look like that will be necessary this time. Or uh, possible because New Zealand first <laughs> is polling pretty poorly. <laughs> yes, yes, they're they're going they're they're they previously had only really had the one seat, I believe, um, and now it looks like they might not even get that one seat. Um, and in uh, in uh, as a result, I think we we talked about this in our our COVID uh, democracy episode that we've really will release uh, have released. But I think you get a really, uh, it's a, a COVID does at least provide an opportunity. Well, our Jacinda Ardern did very well, um, in, in, in her execution of the policy. And I think is, uh, sort of unanimously given in sort of an A plus grade for during COVID handling, ha- handling that process. Um, it did. <laughs> you give... can tell that you were just TA and Kayla. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I would never give an A plus, uh, <laughs> Um, okay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, um, anyway, she uh, she handled it well, but you know, it, it gives her a boost. It, it it is not necessarily reflective of the feelings of her last four the last four years that she has been in power um, of what happened in in, in there, um, and I think that's come up a few times in this election. Right. So currently. Uh... The Labour Party is polling very strongly, looking like they might actually um, get a majority government in a proportional representation uh, system, which is super rare. Yeah, very hard. (laughs) Has never happened, I don't think, in New Zealand anyway. Uh, Not since they've had proportional representation. Has not happened. Uh, looks like it may be possible, or they might only have to have form a coalition with the Greens, which is a much more natural coalition mm-hmm. to form. So it looks like, despite I mean her international popularity, which we've talked about, is uh, really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember there was like we. I mean, this is kind of why we've talked about um, New Zealand so much over the last few years is based on Jacinda Ardern's. Uh, international popularity. Mm-hmm. She was on like Jimmy Fallon. Uh, I think she's on Stephen Colbert. Yeah, but yeah, she was on Stephen Colbert. Yeah, okay, she's been around. Sure, she was on Nate Light shows yeah, that yeah. I don't actually watch, <laughs> but I mean that requires some amount of popularity. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but domestically that necessarily didn't translate. No. Well, I think she, and so like kind of the interest. I don't know if you noticed this in reading some of the articles, but like. It didn't necessarily completely translate, but when they talk to New Zealanders, they're all still really nice about it. They're like, well, she, you know, she did do some good things, but like, these are some complaints. I don't know if she really met many of her goals or something like that. They're, they're all very like, it's very polite about it, I guess. Um, even her most uh, strong critics, it seems. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a lot of, so her her time in leadership was sort of like uniquely marked by uh, several like crisis points with COVID really just being yes. like the, the most recent and the biggest. And I think she's sort of universally, it's universally agreed. She did really well with that. Like, again, in talking about what her critics were saying, they all agree. She seems like, they all say like, she seems like a great person. She's handled these situations very well. Um, but there were many mm. promises, really ambitious promises about housing 
um, and poverty that she'd made. Um, I think that New Zealand has a bit of a housing crisis um, and uh, and has fairly high rates of, of uh, poverty that she was she'd made promises to try and address um, and that uh, some of those more, more ambitious plans um, either got started and then shelved or um, didn't even really get off the ground. Um, depending on who you ask, that could be because her coalition was a little trickier um, and she had to compromise. But there, I mean, it's hard to know how much is that to to blame on the coalition and how much is that she it didn't get done. Um, especially now that if you look at her campaign um, now, it's it's fairly scaled back. It's a lot more ambiguous about what the objectives are. Mm-hmm. So do the people voting right now, mm-hmm. do they see, do, I mean, is, is some of this more popularity? Is it, okay, we like what you've done. We see what you've done. We see that what you've done has been limited by a coalition government. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of like a sign of saying, okay, <laughs> we trust you. And now uh, a lot more people are getting on board with that. And how much of in a situation where there's pretty much never majority governments, um, is there a possibility that many people who would want to vote labor are going to vote uh, for maybe gr- maybe the Greens so that you get that coalition of still parties that they might support without giving just a majority stake to uh, one person or one party. Mm. So so far, the coverage I can tell it seems like that's not what's going to happen. That 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 mm. it does seem like people are really turning to the the labor seeing labor party seeing them as the best viable option and, and throwing their support by behind them. Um, I think so. That it's it's hard to. I think that it's what what's interesting about this coverage of of Jacinda Ardern. Um, and and her popularity versus her ability to accomplish things is and and a couple articles I've read and we'll link them in our newsletter sort of highlight that it's the more popular you are uh, you're only going to get so many chances to deliver um, and coming in Mm -hmm. with that much support and then not being able to accomplish it the letdown is much more dramatic uh, in in the next four (laughs) years right so I, I mean previous to coronavirus uh uh COVID-19 um it was speculated she might not win the election that she was going to have a hard time uh getting into power um and then her success uh in during COVID uh was has sort of propelled her well beyond winning and, and into the possibility of majority so I think it's it's we see it I think if you're if you're a Canadian listener I think you can kind of see that that discord that exists between like when Justin Trudeau for a very long time and arguably still was very popular internationally. He looked good and in 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 sort of like a a more broad sense. If you don't get into the specifics, um, and but then maybe in locally in in within the country, we see we were seeing cracks in that or seeing things that we didn't feel that the the country didn't feel he was accomplishing. Um, mm-hmm. so he, he was very good at talking in generalities and, and talking, he said the right ideas. Um, but then these are big ideas. You're very popular. And when you don't accomplish them, that, that you can kind of reach a crashing point and, and trust gets sort of broken. So it's a, it's a tight rope. To, it's a tight rope to walk, I guess, for a lot of these leaders. I think as far as good leaders go, I mean, there's many ways to be a bad leader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but with, many good leaders there's kind of ones that are good 
decision makers. So Mm -hmm. in big moments of crises or in foreign affairs matters, they might do good things. Mm -hmm. And then there's kind of more creator leaders Mm -hmm. who have their own ideas instead of reacting to things. They're more proacting on things. And that's more of like at a on a domestic scale Mm -hmm. um, at home. So I think it's easy to be, I mean, it's not easy. It's, it's just two different things. Like to be this like Mm -hmm. international reactive leader saying the right things, listening to people, synthesizing what they're saying and choosing the right course of action as opposed to at a domestic level, thinking about your actual vision of what you want to happen and then how to implement those Mm things. Um, Which I mean, it's kind of like when you're, I don't know, when you're like, you're playing chess and you have like, you got your setup and you're happy with it and you want to go next Mm -hmm. because you want your opponent to go because then you can react to what they do. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you have so many options, especially like when you're Justin Trudeau in Canada and you have a majority government, you can do whatever you want. It's your turn, man. Mm -hmm. You can make a choice. Um, But that's a totally different thing than given two difficult choices and steering in the right direction Mm -hmm. um so i think it's kind of common or i don't know if it's common how common is to see good leaders that are well respected internationally (laughs) um but it is kind of common to have this kind of difference between the two kind of outward looking leaders and inward looking leaders who are both good in different ways Mm -hmm. yeah and i think it's tricky balance and it's also about like the leader the team you have behind you i mean um uh arn got praised for the economic uh her, her approach to the economic situation during COVID and, mm-hmm. and to, to secure them in leading into COVID to, to make so they could respond. Um, and that was down to her economic minister who is, is wildly being praised for that. But now we're sort of in a mm-hmm. situation where she's campaigning and she doesn't have a clear message on sort of getting out of COVID. How do we recover? And, and New Zealand is facing a fairly significant recession um and mm-hmm. and and a lot of trouble that way so new zealanders are looking for that specifics um and that may, might have to come down to her team um and i think also it's uh, also a question of of how much how do you uh so she's sort of in in some some articles were sort of arguing that she's moderated her uh her views a little bit and and broadened her campaign promises to garner a greater v- vote share um, but yeah, how do you accomplish those things? How do you, moving more to the center? Do you lose the support that made you exciting? Um, the big ideas that made you exciting in order to get more vote share? Um, or do you, yeah, or do you, is it better to stick to your more specific plans, get less vote share, but maybe not, and maybe not be able to accomplish it? So what are some of the big issues that are dominating new zealand politics going into this election other than COVID, i guess all right um yeah so i think uh the the interestingly they in a poll i read somewhere of new zealanders that they put climate change as being one of their their primary concern uh, superseding even uh COVID. um and wow. yeah so they're and the and that was another area where they've they felt that um uh, Arn was, you know, sort of talking about it, but maybe not walking the walk, you know, could have gone further. Some things are still happening. Um, but and and her current plan is a little vague, but that was sort of ranked as the number one issue. And some of these, I guess, not going into the election, um, but there are other kind of big 
referenda that are coming up at the same time that aren't really in the hands of the parliament anymore, which I guess we've talked a little bit before about how it's weird that (laughs) on the hardest choices, we don't let the people who are elected to make the choices for us make. (laughs) Um, But what are some (laughs) of the referenda and how are those looking going into this? Yeah, so there's two and and they kind of have like wildly different um, popularity levels. So um, the to a cannabis referendum um so to uh, le- uh legalize um possession of the, and production of cannabis products um in new zealand this is a really tight one and people don't really know how it's going to go um currently you're allowed to have medical uh, marijuana you can get prescriptions um but this is sort of taking that the next step further it would be similar to what we have here in canada and uh, but it's really really close so it right now i think the polling is that slightly yes slightly below like passing it um but, uh, for example, uh, when asked to comment on it uh, in, in a debate, uh, Jacinda Ardern said she was not going to say anything because she didn't want to sway voters either way. Um, she did say that at one point she had smoked. <laughs> what a weird thing for a politician to say. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to sway did voters. <laughs> And it, yeah, on this issue, she decided, I guess, not to. I, yeah, but it's yeah, really yeah. close, so you can see why that might be the choice that she makes. She doesn't want to, uh, you yeah. know, deter people who are for or against it. A totally a fair thing to say, but just something you almost never hear yeah. our politicians say. <laughs> um, and but she did say in the debate that she had previously, uh, many years ago, smoked pot, um, and that was sort of that made some headlines uh, in, in New Zealand news. Um, because people are very interested in what she's done. But anyway, so the, and the second one, which is way less controversial is the, uh, uh, end of life choice act, uh, which is, uh, on, I think if you, if you're, uh, if you have like less than six months left to live and two doctors confirm, you can choose to voluntarily, um, assisted suicide, voluntary euthanasia, um, as a legislating that to be possible, but it's like, it's wildly like, it's very likely that that will pass. Um, I think it's like, it looks like it's like about 70%. Yes. Right now. Wow. Um, and Jacinda Ardern said that she would likely vote for that. So, uh, interesting. Like the social implications of Mm -hmm. not wanting to come down. And it's so interesting that the, out of these two things, the less controversial one is assisted suicide mm-hmm. when an access to legalization for cannabis mm-hmm. is so hotly contested. Maybe it's just, it's kind of like more so how I think political parties are more divided on things that like are, you know, what we've talked about, like within the Overton window yeah. previously, like what is reasonable for debate and like, ac- like cannabis legalization is something that, has like really divided parties and people for a long time. Cause it's like yeah. been thought about and then mm-hmm. assisted suicide, um, just not being controversial. I think it's just because it's not something that like parties have talked about that much. Um, but yeah, that's super interesting that it's not as controversial because in Canada, it's, I, I feel like we talked about this in like a bioethics course that I took once. And how it was like super controversial, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I would say it was probably the reverse. I think it's also interesting to note, yeah. like, that in New Zealand, they're like the for possession, you are, I think your maximum sentence is like two years in jail with a with real emphasis on avoiding any jail time at all. 
So it's already like uh, the legal system around it, I think, is has adjusted to recognize that it's not a significant offense. So there are perhaps a lot of people who in Canada who are maybe f- for this, who were, were for it because they they didn't like the way that it, it, the, the impact had on our criminal justice system, um, the way we were prosecuting people who had uh, for possession of marijuana. Um, whereas maybe in New Zealand, they feel more satisfied with the current approach to uh to it i guess and you do have in theory you have medical access and that sort of thing so i don't know i don't know what exactly would motivate it to be so close um but i I, you know we two countries that have taken different approaches i guess yeah very interesting something that is not controversial at all in new zealand yeah is uh advanced advanced voting (laughs) yeah like everybody did it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's twice as uh, popular this year as it was in 2017. Mm-hmm. 1.15 million people have already voted. Uh, the election, uh, as of yesterday, the election is only on Saturday, on October 17th. It's wild. And I mean, there's only 3.3 million people who are registered to vote at all. So almost, I guess, more than a third of people have gone to advanced polls. Yeah. And they're bringing their own pens, is, which is nice. Yeah, I read about that too. I was going to say, yeah, they're bringing their own <laughs> pens. Um, and, and apparently the hand sanitizer smells nice, which I think is yes. an innovation we could work on. <laughs> Lemon-scented hand sanitizer. Um, but yeah, no, I think it, it is interesting, especially because it's a country that, I mean, things are pretty open. I think they're having rallies and there are concerts and things like that. Like you can go to public places right now in New Zealand, but true, but not, not to discourage advanced voting. You should, it's great. Do that. Yeah. For all of our New Zealand listeners, go and vote. <laughs> <laughs> you have probably by the time this comes out one day. Uh, so <laughs> if you haven't yet get out there, um, but yeah, it looks like a, an interesting election and how it actually comes down to the vote, whether or not it's a majority or a minority government coalition government with the greens and what amount of power they have. Um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting election. Yeah, it's interesting. And, uh, also so normal. Um, so normal, just democratic process happening. There's no, uh, interference. There doesn't seem to be a lot of corruption. Uh, I was looking this week, there was, a report that came out about um, G20 countries and their level of democracy since 2006. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this? Uh, I haven't. Tell me about it. And that, like, it was like basically everybody's democracy has gotten worse. Like their like level of corruption and um, political uh, engagement and freedom of the mm-hmm. press and all that stuff have like declined since 2006. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what the headlines are saying. Sure, maybe the decline is like very marginal most of the time. So it's not like as much like alarm bells are ringing all over the globe. Mm-hmm. Um, but of the of the uh, countries that were looked at, the two that actually increased were Canada and New Zealand. Oh, so, that's exciting. Good, good yeah, job, us. It's a good country to have a uh, an election in. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think self congratulatory here. But <laughs> <laughs> I think you know, I think it's down to you and I, Alex. Notably, none of these other countries produce probably about politics. Nope. Canada does. Yes. And our democracy and... is better for it, I truly believe. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm gonna, I agree. I completely, uh, high rates of confidence in governance as well. Like we, high rates of trust, yeah. willingness to trust. And I think that's something we talk about a lot, but it's important. I mean, I don't think that pro politics has, I guess maybe it could have hindered the confidence of Canadians in their government, <laughs> but I don't think so. No, I only I helped. It's, it only helped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are we ready to move on here? Oh, I, you told me there was space news and I'm excited. Space news. All right. Space news this week. Listen, we're going to space. Oh. Actually. Oh, Instead right of. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, through the power of the internet and our imaginations, we're going to space. Uh, and you know what, Kaylee? It's exciting. It's yeah. exciting because maybe when we go to space, we could have friends. Oh, you don't think that we'll Insofar... have to isolate? <laughs> No, we don't have to isolate to these guys because uh, l- likely they uh, cannot get, they cannot be affected by COVID. Hmm. This is about the discovery of phosphine gas on Venus. Oh. Which is a moderately robust biosignature for potential source of life uh, within our solar system. Huh. Have you seen this? I No, I haven't. All right. So let's start from basics and work our way up. Let's build towards understanding why phosphine gas is a biosignature, <laughs> yeah. how you know what it is, and what that means. So uh, I, uh, I know none of these things. Right. So Venus is a planet in the solar system, right? Yes, Second I Second from the sun. Mm-hmm. Notably, extremely hot, runaway greenhouse effect on Venus. Uh, so if you want to look that far into our future, <laughs> uh, clouds made of acid, really, really, it's it's just, you could not survive there. You, Kaylee, I know, could not survive on Venus. <laughs> <laughs> but when we point our telescopes towards Venus and look at um, the spectra of molecules, so basically when you shine light through a molecule, or through a substance, um, it absorbs, depending on what's in it, it absorbs some light and lets other light through. And so by looking at the light that comes through, you can then infer what light did not come through. And mm-hmm. from there, you can say, okay, these types of chemical bonds or these types of molecules would absorb that light. And then you get kind of like a fingerprint by looking at the light of what the molecule is. Okay. All right? Yeah. Are you with me so far? Yeah. Yeah. More or less? Yeah, sure. Yes, I'm here. All Let's right, go. so you shine, a, you shine a light through some molecules, you look really closely at the light that comes through, and then you know what the mm-hmm. what's in there. So by okay. looking at Venus, and we see um, the light from the sun come through the clouds, and also based on the temperatures that we're looking at, you can see the radiation from what the light is, that things that are hot glow, you know? So they mm-hmm, emit light mm-hmm. as well. We've trained these telescopes on the on Venus, and we found phosphine gas in the atmosphere. Okay. So this was done with, I think, 15 antennas all pointed towards uh, Venus. Okay. Uh, so there's a huge, or 45 antennas pointed towards Venus from this huge array uh, mm-hmm. in Atacama. Mm-hmm. And you see this phosphine gas signature that's pretty faint. So we know that it's there most likely now so why Mm -hmm. does this matter right phosphine gas is part of the phosphorus cycle Mm -hmm. um, which is part of many biological processes so there's there's other ways to make phosphine gas through chemistry Mm -hmm. but those conditions aren't really met 
on the uh, in the clouds of Venus. Okay. So like other gas giants in the solar system have them, but these scientists have ruled out all those other methods of making phosphine gas. So they're like, the only way that's left is through biological production. Okay. So, or, so it's either we found new chemistry <laughs> that's yet to be discovered, <laughs> and that'll explain why there's phosphine gas, yeah. which uh. is still exciting. Okay, sure. But also, potentially, um, <laughs> there are little little guys, uh, maybe just enzymes, or, you know, what what constitutes life at what point is it life mm-hmm. who knows but it seems like there's something new going on which might be explained by biological processes happening in the clouds of venus in the sulfuric acid clouds of venus well all right i have a i do wonder though like i is this like mostly just like interesting from a science perspective because like it seems like we're not gonna be able to live there uh, right yeah so we wouldn't be able to live there Mm-hmm. <laughs> but i think finding life anywhere especially yeah. in places that we couldn't live is also exciting um mm-hmm. and if there's life on a planet so close to earth imagine the possibilities there's so many planets there's like billions of That's planets true. just in our milky way galaxy okay yeah no i agree it's exciting i just wanted to check that i shouldn't be like you know switching from like moving to mars to moving to venus but i think that doesn't make sense right yeah uh yeah no don't switch i think mars is definitely <laughs> the better place for you kaylee i think nice honestly i don't thrive Earth, in hot conditions yeah then a distant distant second would be mars <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and then probably probably not even venus at all so uh, unlikely. but and these are not likely to be like you know aliens in the movies like alien um right this is likely just a small little yeah, so basically it's like there is some anaerobic process um, that is biological in nature, <laughs> <laughs> which would produce this molecule. Huh. Uh, so like the so there's a lot of parts of the um, phosphorus cycle on Earth that mm-hmm. aren't biological. So it's like it's known as like a a geo a biogeochemical system mm-hmm. or cycle where like most phosphorus compounds are solids so they happen in rocks and like different things happen in like high temperature no oxygen environments underground and then some bacteria come in and then they do stuff where they can make phosphine gas uh, from the phosphorus compounds that are there maybe um and then the phosphorus itself like so phosphorus is super important for life though generally because mm-hmm. it's used to make nucleic acids so dna the stuff that holds all your genes rna the stuff that allows your um dna to be translated into proteins which are what make you mm-hmm. um and it, it's used for um atp which is uh kind of like the energy molecule so mm-hmm. it allows you to move so basically, right. phosphorus helps your body encode what it is, make itself, and is the energy currency to allow those things to happen. So super duper important for life. And some mm-hmm. phosphine compounds are found on Venus. So hey, who knows? Oh, there we go. Maybe in a few years, we'll see some more uh, aspects of life on the planet. Oh, that is exciting. Uh, maybe soon there will be a hashtag that we can follow. Um, to see lots of cute creature extraterrestrials yeah private politics not only do we talk about every country on earth but we're moving planets too yes (laughs) 
I think that's all we got. I think so. That was, how satisfying. We just went through everything. That was everything. a good episode, yeah. I feel. Let's congratulate ourselves now. <laughs> <laughs> Probably about politics. Improving democracy and improving your day. Maybe that should be our tagline. Uh, thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, if you want more Probably about politics, find us on pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Share us with your friends so that after they listen, they can then rate and review the podcast uh, and then tweet at us at, um, at probpolitics on Twitter or email us at probpolitics at gmail.com. Uh, I think that's everything I have to say at the end of the episode. So thank you for listening. <laughs> we love you. We love you all. Thank you for listening to Probably Politics.